on episode 84 of the High Performance Leadership Podcast, is fubbing, or phone snubbing, ruining trust at work? When people perceived they were being fubbed by their boss, they trusted their boss less. They didn't feel that their mm. boss had their best interest in mind. You're listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast, insights and information from world-class leadership experts. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. This is Randy Lane. On today's podcast, we're talking with Dr. Jim Roberts. He's a professor of marketing at Baylor University. He's going to talk to us about how technology is impacting our relationships at work. He authored a book called Too Much of a Good Thing, Are You Addicted to Your Smartphone? I first came across him via a study he authored with fellow professor and Dr. Meredith David at Baylor University on phone snubbing or fubbing and how it affects relationships. They started by focusing on romantic relationships, but they found that fubbing can also happen in the workplace. We talk about this and a variety of other technology-related subjects like the myth of multitasking. Can you really do more than one thing at a time? How different generations use technology, different types of work environments, and social media lurking. This is a very diverse episode and we go through a lot of topics, so I hope you learn something. And now our talk with Dr. Jim Roberts. For people who don't know you, can you kind of introduce yourself a little oh, bit? Oh, you bet. My name is Jim Roberts. I'm a professor of marketing at Baylor University, and I study what I call the dark side of consumer behavior. And I talk a lot in one of my major areas of research interest are how our technology use impacts our relationships. And how did you get started with that? Well, for years, probably 20 plus years, I'd studied shopping behavior, what we call, what I call compulsive buying. And people started to say, you know, those people look like they're addicted to shopping. They can't <laughs> control it. You know, credit card bills mount up. They argue with their spouses. Mm -hmm. And then I started to see the same kind of behavior with smartphones. And of course, I had the advantage of two teenage daughters at home at the time. <laughs> and they were constantly on the phone. We were arguing about their use of the phone. So it was affecting relationships. One month, we got a bill uh, for their texting. This was before kind of the internet, which of course just kind of threw like throwing gas on the fire as uh, my younger daughter had 8,000 texts that month. And <laughs> so we just said, there's really something here. That, right. You know, it's not where people are just say, oh, I'd like, you know, I like my phone. I'll check, as, you know, social media out a little bit and then we'll go on our merry way. No, we are addicted, attached, if not addicted to our smartphones. I mean, it seems so pervasive now. How do we deal with it? Yeah, well, that's the $64,000 question right <laughs> there. Well, it's an interesting story. Um, my research uh, partner and I, Meredith David, uh, Dr. Meredith David at uh, Baylor, we started out after I kind of realized that there's something more to this smartphone use than just kind of a simple way to communicate, send a few texts, do a few posts. But we really saw that people were maybe attached, if not addicted. And so I kept seeing how it was interrupting relationships. And we've all been, and here's the famous word for the day, fubbed. Mm -hmm. Fubbed is P-H-U-B-B-E-D, and it stands for phone snubbing. Have you guys coined that term? Uh, you know what? We'd like to take credit for it. No, <laughs> that was invented in 2012 uh, by an Australian uh, advertising firm that was trying to come up with a way to market their new dictionary. We like to take credit for that, although it was invented over in Australia and they had a little campaign about stop fubbing campaign. But we picked it up act actually after it really died and we expanded it to talk about partner fubbing. So phone snubbing of our romantic partners. Mm -hmm. And so that's how this really all started out. We looked at does, you know, and we all know the 
feeling of when people aren't quite giving us their full attention, you mm-hmm. know, when they're, they've got one eye on the phone, maybe two eyes on the phone or an ear here, but you know, not, we know they're not paying their attention. They're more distracted by their smartphones. We know that doesn't make people feel good. And so we did a large survey, a couple large surveys that we looked at the perception of partner fubbing. Do you perceive your romantic partner as fubbing you, you know, using their phone uh, at your expense, ignoring you when you're in their presence or even, of course, during conversations? Mm-hmm. And not really entirely surprising, even though there were some arguments that, well, maybe you know we're in the 21st century now. That's just part of doing business, the cost right. of doing business. But that's not what we found. Hmm. What we found is that when you perceive your partner to be a fubber, that led to, of course, cell phone conflict, you know, cell phone-related conflict. And that could be both voiced or unvoiced. You might say, hey, I'm over here. Or you might just say, oh, well, thank you. you know, that doesn't make me feel very good. <laughs> you know, they're paying more attention to my phone. Mm-hmm. And worse then, so we're fubbed by our partners. We may fight, we may not fight, but either way, there's some uh, uh, dissension between the two of us because of their um, smartphone use, and that leads to lower levels of relationship satisfaction. Mm. So that's, this is funny how we kind of jump over to the uh, office place. Mm-hmm. Is that so? Yeah, we we reported, or the people who were fub reported less or lower levels of relationship satisfaction. And here's really the kind of come down of all that. First thing, we weren't as satisfied with the relationship, but we also found when we're not happy in our relationships, we also report higher levels of stress, depression, and anxiety. Mm-hmm. Kind of a funny fubbing story. I have a group of friends mm-hmm. and we have lunch regularly. And there's one guy in particular who will, during a conversation, start kind of drifting over to his phone. So we've gotten in the habit of one of us will take a picture of ourselves waving hi to him mm-hmm. and then text uh, it to uh, him. Uh, so it shows up and he'll be, oh, yes, uh, I'm doing it again. That's a classic. <laughs> and, you know, and so you, you know, you relayed what we've all felt, mm-hmm. you know, that people, some, all often people are, uh, there's a book called Together But Alone. And then, you know, the whole idea there was, you know, we may be together physically, but mentally there may be, you know, far off in the uh, Twitterverse. So bringing this back to the workplace, when I first started here, the main way that I would take notes was on my phone because I always had it with me. And it was a way for me to sync between the notes on my phone and the notes on my desktop. And I could type much faster than I could write. But my boss perceived it as when we were in a meeting, if I was taking notes, he didn't know if I was Facebooking or Twittering or whatever I could be doing. And out of kind of reverence for him and saying, you know, let me try something different. I started taking notes on a notepad. And now what I do typically is I'll take notes on the notepad and then I'll transfer them over to my digital notes later. And I have found I have better recall of what was said during the meeting, because not only am I writing it down, which I feel like is probably better hardwired for us getting the information, but then I have to repeat it again, which may be a duplication of work a little bit. But I feel like when I put the notes in again digitally, I'm really internalizing what was said at the meeting. What would you say to employers who maybe have a hard time with other employees or coworkers using digital devices during meetings? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, it's all about any new technology. It takes some time to accommodate that new technology into our lifestyles, but you hit the nail on the head as far as using some type of uh, technology to take notes. And because what, what actually, I'll just bring it back to my classrooms where I don't allow laptop or smartphones, of course, in my classroom. But here's why. When people take notes on the laptop, they're a much quicker typer than they are a writer. Mm -hmm. So they dictate. And so they take everything down so they don't have to think much about what's being said. Mm -hmm. When you have to take pen to paper, you can't keep up with someone talking. So you have to kind of synthesize that information and write it down. And like you said, your knowledge or your depth of learning is much deeper when you do that. And then transferring it someplace else is another opportunity. That's that second exposure to the information. 
information so you'll learn even more. Are there other situations in the workplace where you're seeing technology being a distraction? Oh, you bet. And so kind of growing out of that partner fubbing, and we think of a supervisor-employee relationship just like a marriage. Right? It's kind of give and take, and uh, some are good marriages, some aren't so good, and the rest of them are somewhere in between. But yeah, so we took that idea of partner fubbing and looked at it in the workplace, and we talked about something we call boss fubbing, mm-hmm. which is being fubbed, phone snubbed by your boss. Well, we thought, well, there's going to have to be, just like there would be in a, in a, in a personal relationship, there'd have to be some negative consequences. At least we hypothesized there'd be some negative consequences when you're fubbed by your boss when you know really and that's a fancy or that's a nice funny word but what it means when your boss doesn't give you the attention that you think you deserve Mm -hmm. and so we we took off with a number of studies looking at boss fubbing and similar to what we found with partner fubbing because again we think that supervise immediate supervisor employee relationship is just a lot like a marriage relationship certainly a romantic but a relationship right it shouldn't be a romantic relationship (laughs) let's remember remind the listeners of that Um, (laughs) but what we found was very very significant and important finding. What we found was when people perceived they were being fubbed by their boss, this is what I thought was most interesting, is that they trusted their boss less. They didn't feel that their mm. boss had their best interest in mind. And when you don't have, don't feel that someone's in your corner, so to speak, doesn't have your back, so to speak, you're less likely to put forth the extra effort you need to be a star performer. Right. So what we really found was we're fubbed, that led to uh, feelings of mistrust. We didn't just trust our supervisor and our immediate supervisor is important because he or she is the one who hands out raises and promotions and schedules. So that's an important relationship. And so when, they're, when we're not happy with our immediate supervisor-employee relationship, it can lead to very negative outcomes. So I'm going to paint a picture that most people have probably seen. You know, you you need to tell the boss something. You walk into his office and you say, I have this important thing to tell you. And they're like, yeah, sure. Come on in. Mm-hmm. And they're holding the phone in one hand and, and looking at it and you say something and then there's no response. And then you're like, is that okay? And they're like, oh yeah, yeah sure, sure, sure. That kind of leads me to, I feel like there is a movement towards the fallacy of multitasking. Mm-hmm. Like a while back, it was like, hey, we can do multiple things. We're doing things a lot more efficiently now. But I, I really feel like the best way to get work done is to really focus on the task at hand and then move to the next one. Is that how you see it? Oh, exactly. Yeah, we call I call it the myth of multitasking. I, when I talk to you know people in industry or students, I talk about that the only people or the only things that can multitask are computers. <laughs> Humans do what we call task switching, which mm-hmm. is very simply we just switch back and forth between tasks. Mm-hmm. And what happens there, of course, is tasks take longer. We don't have the depth of understanding that we have. Have because we're distracted. And oftentimes those distractions, you know, just to check an email could throw us off by two, three minutes before we get back onto the kind of current of what we were thinking about. So yeah, no, no doubt that they're very distracting in the idea that we can multitask. Now, can some people switch back and forth? Can they task switch better than others? You bet. Mm-hmm. But can anyone, can any human truly multitask? No. So we've talked about the, the phone snubbing. I feel like another situation with technology in the workplace is the way different generations use technology. And so, for instance, here in our office, you just to paint a picture for the listeners, we're sitting in the studio, which is also my office, and also our graphic designer sits here. And All sometimes right. we have interns sitting here. So it's a very small office, but we use Slack which is an inter-office communication tool, kind of like a, a chat room. My boss, who sits in the room really close to us, he can, if the door's open, you can hear easily to the other room. And sometimes we'll 
Slack something to him mm-hmm. and he'll respond with his voice and he'll be like, I'm just in the other room. If you need something, come up and talk to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you find the younger generation has trouble dealing with how the older generation would or like, is it less personal or how does that work? Oh yeah, definitely. There's generational differences in how we adapt to technology. And I don't think it's that older folks haven't caught on, but it's just not part of their fabric like it is for, let's say the millennials. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, definitely generational differences. And I think both good and bad. I think there's, I I wrote a book called too much of a good thing. Are Mm -hmm. you addicted to your smartphone? And that too much of a good thing, that was a very carefully selected title because there are lots of benefits as your listeners will attest to using technology. But what we're finding is we've really hit what I call the tipping point where technology has so invaded our lives that it's actually inhibiting some of our productivity at work. Do you fear for the younger generations as we move forward? Because it it seems like the personal interaction is waning and the technology is taking the place of that person-to-person communication? Oh, no doubt. I think on a personal level, yeah. What we're, what we're seeing is the inability with our, de- over, uh, with our ever-increasing dependence on technology. Smartphones seem to be at the top of the technological heap right now that we're losing the ability to, uh, to interact face-to-face. We're really actually losing those skills. They're becoming, you know, it's just like any kind of a muscle. We don't use it. We kind of lose that ability. And one of the, I think one of the interesting things that um, allow us, and when we relate and we connect with somebody, one way we connect is through eye contact, like I'm making with you right now. Mm-hmm. When we have our eyes on our phone, we're not making that kind of eye contact. And here's what I think your listeners will find particularly interesting. And the person doesn't even have to be the other person, whether it's your supervisor or your coworker, doesn't even have to be on their phone. The mere fact that the phone is in their physical presence is enough to distract them. I love this term. We call our smartphone super normal stimuli. And so that meaning that they grab our attention, Mm -hmm. they're important to us, and they're going to take precedence over most everything we do. So even in the room, even when they're not being used, they distract us from the task at hand. If you were asked to come into a workplace and help them out to kind of communicate better and to get away from technology as the primary means of communication, how would you approach that? You know, you have kind of two ends of the continuum, right? You could say, ban smartphones, you put them away, you put them in, a, in one of those smartphone pouches. I love stories, I've got some great stories about people putting in, put them in the pouches so they won't use them and then finding the pouches gnawed away and the phone's taken out later. But <laughs> Is it a special pouch or just yeah. a... Yeah, okay. oh, it's a pouch and then it, it locks. And then we've, we found out at conferences and different events, art events, art installations and things like that, that later they'd come back and people had, they weren't allowed the key until the end of the event, right? Oh. And so they would literally tear them open. So, I mean, there's just no I've doubt. never heard of this. So oh, the idea yeah. is that if you're too addicted, you put it in a locked pouch that mm-hmm. you cannot get into mm-hmm. to kind of break you of that addiction. Yeah. And especially for, you know, things like, it could be for important meetings in a business setting, but mm-hmm. it also could be for, you know, plays or the theater, you know, where smartphones certainly can be... Uh, uh, very distracting. And so you put them in these things, but what they found is for some people that was just too much. Mm-hmm. They couldn't spend that kind of time away from their technology. I tried, this is probably a couple of months ago. I wanted to go a full week with no <laughs> social media whatsoever. Um, I need to respond to emails and texts sure. and stuff for work, but I was like, I can, I can go off social media. And I found myself trying to replace it with other things when I had said that I would no longer do this. Do you find people struggle to actually cut off stuff to get more interaction personally? 
oh, you bet. I mean, it is an addiction. I mean, and you know, I, I don't get so caught up in terminology. So if you're attached to your fart smartphone, but it's causing problems in your life, well, I don't care if you call it attachment or addiction. If it's causing problems or interrupting the smooth flow of your life, then it's a problem. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, no, no doubt. One of the prime, well, there's what we call or what I call the six core components of any type of an addiction. And the one you're talking about, of course, is relapse. And that's one of the sure signs that you may be overly attached to your phone or to exercise or to cigarettes or alcohol, whatever, is when we've tried to quit and then failed. Mm -hmm. And so what that means is by trying to quit, we acknowledge it's having some negative influence on our life. And then by failing, well, we're overly attached and we probably need just maybe some interventions, I don't mean actually outside people coming in, but other ways that you design your environment to make it as easy as possible for you to avoid your smartphone when it shouldn't be used. It's maybe not the same as a pouch, but what I did for that week where I was not using social media, Mm -hmm. I took all the apps off my phone and then I had my wife changed the Apple ID for my phone so I couldn't get those apps back. Mm-hmm. That was the way I did that. And that, that was helpful for me not relapsing and saying, oh, well, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to check it real quick and then I'll delete the app again. For me, one thing I found helpful is we don't need all the notifications and the badges. And I took that off my email because I feel like email is kind of a not super immediate form of communication. Uh, if somebody really needs me, they will call, text, mm-hmm. or Slack me. And so I took off the notifications for my email. So it only loads new messages when I specifically go in and ask for them. And I find myself checking my email far less. Is that something you recommend for people? Oh, I think it's a great idea. Anything, you know, because again, if the phone was passive and it just only, you know, came to life when we asked it to come to life, well, then we wouldn't have these problems with attachment addiction. It's just like I've got some good friends who are experts in gambling addiction. And the same people that designed uh, slot machines have designed our smartphones. And <laughs> I, I call them our smartphones petulant children, right? They're not going to just lay there quietly waiting for us to attend to them. They're going to cry out and beep and buzz and vibrate till we pay attention to them. So if, maybe if you just turn off all the notifications and only go, you can still have those apps, but maybe only go in when you actually want to go in, not when the phone tells you to do it. Exactly. Yeah. Go in when you need to. And what you're bringing up, and that's probably something that's very, what's important to everybody who's in the workplace is email. Because, you know, again, it's not as immediate, but research tells us, and I probably bear this out, research tells us that people check their emails up to 30 times an hour. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, it's just kind of, you know how it is. We go back, yeah. we go forth. But the problem with that, of course, it's distracting. Mm-hmm. And so when we're doing that, go to the email and then come back to our work, it's going to take, depends on how long our break from our work is, it could be minutes before we get back to uh, the topic and kind of get back to where we left off. And so, yeah, something as innocent as email has really been proven to be a big problem in the workplace. Another thing I'd like to do when I have a task I need to get done in a certain period of time is... I'll make sure to close mail, Slack, anything that could require my attention and and divide my focus. Is that something else you would ask people to do? You bet. It's really an issue of self-control. And so to exercise our best self-control, we have to design an environment. We call this environmental programming. And really, that's a fancy term for meaning we've got to remove distractions from our environment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the less distracted we are, the more work we get done. And it was really a great article in the Wall Street Journal a couple days ago talking about just that. And while we're getting back to our earlier discussion about multitasking, they said the most successful business people were the people that would choose a few tasks, say no to other tasks, choose a few tasks to focus their attention on. They were the ones that were most productive. There's a video that's been going around. It's probably a couple years old now where 
a guy's filling a jar and mm-hmm. he's like, he has big rocks, small rocks and sand. And he's like, how do you fill that up? And he starts with the big rocks. So your most important tasks, then he fills it with the smaller rocks, which are the less important tasks and then finishes with the sand. And that's the only way those components will fit mm-hmm. in the jar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really is all about creating an environment that's conducive to you to getting your job done. And then, so that's environmental programming, but we also have something called behavioral programming, which is really kind of rewards and punishments for the job done. So yeah, people, if they really think about this and a goal, an important goal there is to be more productive at work. Yeah. You need to establish, create an environment that allows you to be as productive as possible. And our focus on technology is just that because we, it is the biggest distractor in the workplace. We'll be right back. And now it's time to meet a 360 Solutions strategic partner. So I'm Lana with Echo9 Solutions. I came to 360 when I retired from the Army. I spent 28 years in the Army training soldiers, building them one by one. I was a first sergeant at the NCO Academy for a long time. I was an instructor at the Recruiting Academy, recruited for a long time. And when I got out of the Army, I still wanted to do that. And I was researching consulting companies, leadership, and again, I didn't want to reinvent the wheel. And I ran across 360 Solutions, and I actually went up to Waco and looked at their products. They were beautiful. I mean, they they looked good. They looked professional. And like, if I'm going to go and put myself out there in front of people, I want to project professionalism in everything that I do. If, like Lana, you're ready to help organizations develop their leaders, consider partnering with 360 Solutions. Our high-performance leadership framework helps organizations run more efficiently with an engaged workforce. Find out about partnering with 360 Solutions at 360solutions.com partner. Again, that's 360solutions.com partner. And now back to the show. So speaking of environment, it seems to be a trend, this whole open office, everyone in one location type of thing. How do you feel about that with distraction and technology involved? Yeah, I think I think the open, the research, as I understand it, the research really suggests that the open office concept was really never a really good idea. We try all these experiments at the, in school and in the workplace. And, you know, again, they're just experiments. We're looking to ways to cut costs, encourage um, going back and forth, interaction between employees and things like that. But no, now when you throw, you know, people's conversations and their phones uh, going off. I think what we really need is a is a safe space or a quiet space where we can get work done and control kind of the distractions that might come across our desk. Is there anything else you would like to talk about that you have coming up or books or articles? Actually, one thing that your reader or your listeners might uh, find of interest, I did an analysis of, of Donald Trump's Twitter habits. <laughs> and so looking at these six core components of an addiction, and it's what, what I think your listeners will find fascinating is that we and how we use our technology, if we're addicted, we exhibit the same signs when we might be addicted to drugs, alcohol, or smoking. Mm-hmm. Has your technology become highly salient in your life? Is it the first thing you look at when you get up, last thing you look at before you go to bed, and worse, it's next to your bed and it wakes you up in the middle of the night five or six times? Mm-hmm. 
your smartphone use is salient. Then we look at tolerance. Are you using your smartphone more and more? And the studies tell us, and I mean, it only makes sense, even though I think there's a little lull in kind of the real innovations to smartphones and their new uses right now, but that as we own our, the longer we own our smartphones, the more we use them. Hmm. And then we look at, just like drugs and alcohol, smoking, we look at conflict. Does your smartphone cause you cause conflict in your life? And that can be uh, on a number of different planes. It could be, you know, the accidents could happen when you're driving and some of the funny accidents that happen when people are walking in their smartphone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but also, of course, it's our relationships, like we talked about earlier. We're getting fubbed and we're fubbing, and that's not that doesn't make us happy. But also people need to think about how their smartphone use is affecting their workplace productivity. You know, it's either your workplace could be the school, and we know that when you multitask, when you're studying, your studying doesn't go nearly as well as when you focus on the topic at hand and then go to your technology later, and the same thing with the workplace. And so, yeah, these signs that we look for uh, to whether someone's addicted to their smartphone, the same things we look for when we look at uh, addiction to uh, drugs, alcohol, and uh, smoking. Would you connect this to habits? Because I know like for smokers, maybe it's whenever they're in the car, they smoke. For me, I know that sometimes after a long, hard day, I come home and I, there's a big easy chair I sit down in with my iPad. Mm -hmm. And so is it a similar situation where you go, well, I recognize that I lose a lot of my time when I am following this habit that I've just kind of ingrained over time. Oh, you bet. I mean, our whole life as humans... We are, there's a great uh, title to an article that I read once. It says, the brain is a lazy slab of meat. And what that means is, as human beings, we really want to create a life that has as has, has less as taxing as possible, right? And so one way that we do that is by creating habits. So we don't have to think. You know, we go on beta mode, where we or alpha mode, no, beta mode, where we're not really thinking, you know, think about on your drive home. You really don't know what streets you're on. and It's just, just on automatic. And that saves resources. And that's a good point because we have limited self-control resources. You know, when we have to pay attention, we have to exert uh, activity, that uses up our limited self-control resources. So we're very good at, as humans at saying, okay, I can kind of put this on beta mode and not have to worry about, uh, you know, using up my limited resources to think about what I do. And so, yeah, our phones have become, it's conditioned, you know, conditioned behavior. It's just, we're conditioned to pick it up and look at it and keep it on us. And we feel safe when we do. It's what we do. And it's what a lot of other people do. It's kind of a little bit of monkey see, monkey do. That a lot of what we do when we pick up our phones, it's, it's called social re reciprocation. We're just reciprocating what other people are doing to us. And we, now we call it fubbing. Mm -hmm. We're just kind of doing to others what they're doing to us. And what's interesting, some of our research is finding that this fubbing behavior, phone snubbing other people is becoming normalized. That it's being mm -hmm. so common. I don't think we still like it, but it's becoming something that, well, you know, I'm maybe I won't hurt my feelings as much because I'm doing the same thing to everybody else. We've done this in my family before where everyone takes their smartphone and they put it face down in a stack at mealtime. Mm-hmm. This is when you're out to eat. Uh, so with my, my mom, my dad, my sure. brother, and whoever picks their phone up first is the one who's paying for dinner. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a good incentive <laughs> not to do it. I bet you it works. <laughs> It does. Sometimes we end up uh, sitting around too long, but <laughs> <laughs> but you know, but it, that's good. And really, that's really what we call behavioral program. We're trying to say, okay, the reward is if I don't check my phone, I might get a free meal. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It works. Those. You know, that we can reward the behaviors we want and uh, punish the ones that we don't. And so it's really, I call it psychology one hundred and one. So we're sitting here, we're talking about, and it sounds like all the things we're talking about have a negative type of connotation. 
Are you an optimist or a pessimist as far as technology goes? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> I mean, again, too much of a good thing. There are lots of goods to technology. You know, being able to, well, I guess there's two sides to every coin. I was going to say, you know, being able to go to our children's softball game while we're still, quote unquote, unquote at work mm-hmm. is really kind of a wonderful thing in one sense mm-hmm. and not such a wonderful thing in another sense because we're still connected to work. Right. You know, that tether to work it long as you know, and depends on what kind of job you have. But our tether to work is almost always there because of the smartphone. So yeah, it it gives us some flexibility to do things that we couldn't have dreamed of, you know, fifteen twenty years ago even. So that's how new this is. But it also, you know, there's a cost. Kind of those golden tethers that we get. We can have a lot more flexibility in our life, but we're always connected. We're always at the behest of our coworkers or our friends. Have you ever watched the show uh, Black Mirror? Oh yeah. <laughs> Do you find that any of those episodes are kind of where we're heading? Oh, God. that is so dark. So if you if your listeners have watched it, I mean, it's a great show. Though. Right. It's really a kind of a thoughtful show about kind of if we take this kind of fascination with technology to the, you know, to the, its logical conclusion, it's not a very pretty sight. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, I do. I love the show. I'm not sure if I'm quite that negative about the, you know, fine. But I really am worried about, you know, where is this going? And I think I found some validation in that even Facebook is coming out and saying, you know, maybe. And, you know, I think there's a little bit Mark Zuckerberg is, you know, he's wealthy and he's intelligent and he's one, he started up this wonderful category of communication we call social media. But even him, you know, I think he's starting to say, and we, you know, from pressure from shareholders and from others that, you know, there might be too much of a good thing. There's a lot of good things. And what we've really found and what they found, Facebook themselves in December came out with, you know what, you're right. Not all social media use is created equal. Some of it can be actually bad. And what we found in our research, along with what Facebook found, is that's how we use Facebook as to what impacted that. First thing, I still think there's a little bit about how much we use it, mm-hmm. but how we use it is particularly important. As originally designed, of course, it was designed for us to interact, you know, certainly first with family and close friends, but we've kind of broadened that or widened that net now. And I still think that's okay, but we interact, we post, and we go back and forth. And I think from a social relationship standpoint, that's a good thing. But now let's, let's, now let's put one foot in reality. And what we really see is about, and I've read different statistics, but let's say two-thirds of most social media use is what we call lurking, right? We're, yeah. just, we're looking at people's pages and their photos, and we're not interacting. And so, yeah, there's a good, and we call that passive use of social mm. media, where we're lurking, we're not interacting, and that has been found clearly to be related to lower levels of well-being. I see that in, in social media behavior where you're you're looking at other people's pages and maybe getting down on yourself oh. because you don't have the kind of life they have. And then on the other side of that, people who are just so vain and caught up in their own existence that they're really putting blinders on and not seeing the world as it is. Mm-hmm. Well, it is interesting because what we found with Facebook, and you hit the nail on the head just because that's the biggest social media, but boy, we're getting Snapchats, getting big. Twitter, of course, is huge, is that we call Facebook the four Fs, fun, friends, family, and last fake. And so, and that's really the problem. You know, even though we all know, we all put our best foot forward when we're on Facebook, but we kind of seem to put that at the back of our minds and we see other people's lives depicted on Facebook and we kind of go, man, why wasn't I invited to that party? Or I can't afford to go to Hawaii on right. vacation. And that leads to uh, negative feelings. If everyone put all their mundane stuff up there, then it would be 
far less compelling, I would think. <laughs> oh, or really talk about how much you spent for the uh, for the hotel room, or or that the food was no good, or that uh, <laughs> your boat sank when you're out in the water. Yeah, if we got the full story, we wouldn't nearly be as jealous. <laughs> so, talking more about kind of the future, I remember a long time ago I read a book by Alvin Toffler called mm. Future Shock. You bet. Where it's kind of doing the parallel of there's culture shock if you don't really understand a culture. It can be shocking for your system to try and understand what's going on. And I think his point was the pace of technology is going to keep increasing so fast that our human psyche won't be able to keep up with the fast pace change in technology. Do you see that coming? Oh, he's hit the nail on the head. I think Toffler was right in 60s, early 70s. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so he, knew, he hit the nail on the head. Our technology capacity is doubling about every two years, yet our ability to, as humans to digest information is pretty stagnant. You know, mm-hmm. we're about as good as we're going to get. And so this influx of information that we're getting from these ever-increasing, ever-faster and faster technologies are really overwhelming us. And I think that's the reason why we're seeing in people that are most heavily um, invested in social media and technology, we're seeing in our, in our young people and our millennials that they are reporting higher levels of s- stress, anxiety, depression, and even suicide. Mm-hmm. And really, you know, we, we're doing careful studies and we're finding out that, yes, when we manipulate the amount of time people spend on social media, it does lead to lower levels of, of happiness and well-being, higher levels of stress, anxiety, and depression. And a lot of it has to do with my, you know, favorite old saying or acronym is FOMO, right? Fear mm-hmm. of missing out, you know, fear or, or the feeling obligated to have to respond. Right. And so we, I think we're, we've raised a generation, this millennial generation that grew up with technology, unlike the rest of us who may still have something in our back, little voice in the back of our head saying, maybe I shouldn't be on my phone when I'm spending time with my children. But I think for these newer generations, that little voice isn't there. Mm-hmm. And they're just responding to, you know, what they grew up with is this feeling that they have to respond and respond immediately and be every place at once. And uh, that's really as far as mental health crisis, we may be in one as it relates to millennials and any generations coming after them. I guess the new one is FOBO, fear of a better offer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's all part of it. And isn't that the truth? Yeah, there's just, you know, maybe there'll be something better around the bend. And, you know, in our day or in the day before technology, well, we had to kind of wait for that. But, you know, now that's just maybe, you know, one page away. Mm-hmm. All right. So if people want to find more of your writings, want to get in touch with you, how would they do that? Yeah, thank you for asking. Um, There's a lot of ways you can. First, again, you can simply uh, um, email me at jim underscore roberts at baylor.edu. Read my book, Too Much of a Good Thing. Are you addicted to your smartphone? You'll love the new chapter and the updated version where I analyze, again, I mentioned earlier, Donald Trump's Twitter habits. <laughs> and I won't, I don't want to let the cat out of the bag, but yes, our president in chief at POTUS is addicted to Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and let me remind people, if you're listening to this and avoiding your spouse, significant other or boss or coworkers, please listen to this when it's, you're not supposed to be listening to them, right? <laughs> Stop fobbing. All right. Thanks so much. And I, I think we've just scratched the surface. So I'll, I would love to have you back for future episodes. Oh, thank you. I'd great. I'd love to be back. Thanks for listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us. Every little bit helps. Our website is hpleadershippodcast.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash hpleadershippodcast. Follow us on Twitter at hpl underscore podcast. And shoot us an email at podcast at 360solutions.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.